I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, September 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... They went through six trials, two of which resulted in mistrials, four of which resulted in convictions and death sentences, each of which was reversed because of prosecutorial misconduct. After more than two decades behind bars, Curtis Flowers has his case dropped. Then the CDC issues an eviction moratorium protecting renters through the end of 2020. We examine how the action affects tenants and landlords in Mississippi. Plus, bus drivers in a Mississippi school district are being denied routes over a conflict, working hours and compensation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When Curtis Flowers posted bail and left prison in December, his future remained uncertain. He had been tried for capital murder six times, convicted four times, and each of those four convictions, the most recent by the U.S. Supreme Court, were reversed due to prosecutorial misconduct by District Attorney Doug Evans. Soon after, District Attorney Evans withdrew from the case, and the Office of Attorney General Fitch was appointed in his place. Now, Flowers' future is a little clearer. Last week, Fitch's office announced it's dropping the case, meaning for the first time in 23 years, Curtis Flowers won't be subject to charges he has long denied. Robert McDuff of the Mississippi Center for Justice joined the Flowers defense team after the Supreme Court reversed the conviction and death sentence in Flowers' sixth trial. He shares more about the long history of the case in part one of a conversation with MPB's Desiree Frazier. You know, the the case of Curtis Flowers never made sense. This was a, a brazen robbery of a furniture store in downtown Winona, Mississippi on a weekday morning in 1996 in which four people were killed with precision shooting. Eight days earlier in the evening, someone had broken into that furniture store through the roof and tried to break in the safe. They were unsuccessful, but they left 
by taking a key to the side door that was hanging by that door. So it's pretty likely that the same people who committed that break in also committed the robbery and murder eight days later. But either way, uh, it's pretty clear that the murder was committed by professional criminals. Yet they arrested Curtis Flowers, who was 26 at the time, had no criminal record and had nothing in his background to suggest that he had either the inclination or the ability to commit a crime like this. They pressured witnesses to say that they had seen Curtis on the route to the furniture store or they had seen him near the furniture store on the morning of the murders. They, the district attorney gave extraordinarily leniency and did extraordinary favors for a career criminal who testified in response to these favors that he, that Curtis had confessed the crime to him. They went through six trials, two of which resulted in mistrials, four of which re resulted in convictions and death sentences, each of which was reversed because of prosecutorial misconduct. The most recent was reversed by the U.S. Supreme Court, which said that the district attorney, Doug Evans, had engaged in a relentless, determined effort to rid the jury of black individuals in every trial through his use of peremptory strikes. December of 2019, bail was granted. And for the first time in 23 years, Curtis Flowers left prison and he's been out ever since. Uh, the three weeks later, the district attorneys withdrew from the case. Incoming Attorney General Lynn Fitch was appointed to replace him. Uh, her team conducted a very thorough review of this case. We submitted information to them. And at the conclusion of that review, the attorney general reached the only fair decision that could be reached in light of the history of this case, which was to uh, dismiss the charges uh, and and not take this back for a seventh trial. Were you able to find out why the prosecutor, Doug Evans, was so intent on uh, prosecuting Curtis Flowers and not looking for other suspects? You, you know, I really do not know why he was so intent on prosecuting Curtis Flowers. He, on, on repeated occasions during the course of this case, he told the judge there were no other suspects. Well, that was patently false as was proven by the reporters from In the Dark, as was, was proven by his defense team. And one of the things we pointed out to the judge during the bail hearing back in December was that there were all of these alternative suspects. And the judge in granting bail specifically said that there were suspects, even though the DA had insisted to him over the years that no one else was suspected in the crime. So it, it just it it really made no sense, particularly given this was so this was clearly the work of a professional criminal, professional criminals. 
and not the work of someone like Curtis Flowers, who had nothing in his background to suggest he would do something like this. Did he work at the store? How was the prosecution even able to uh, supposedly tie him in to some aspect of it? Yeah, Curtis worked at the store. He had worked there only a few days before he was let go for accidentally damaging some property that belonged to the store. And that was about two weeks before the murder occurred. But a lot of people get fired from a lot of jobs. Not very many react by going in and killing four of the people who worked at the furniture store. And there was nothing in Curtis's background to suggest he would do that or, or to do it in the sort of fashion in which it was done in this particular case, which was a brazen daylight robbery and the murder of four people with precision shooting. So even though Curtis had worked at the furniture store, there was there was absolutely nothing, nothing to indicate that he would do something like this. Robert McDuff is an attorney with the Mississippi Center for Justice and has been a member of the Flowers defense team since the U.S. Supreme Court reversed the conviction in Flowers' sixth trial. In part two tomorrow... He never should have had to serve those 23 years in the first place. He knows that better than anyone, but he is he is going to move on with his life in a very positive way. Coming up, the CDC issues an eviction moratorium protecting renters through the end of 2020. We examine how the action affects tenants and landlords in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians who can't afford to pay rent because of coronavirus-related job loss are protected from evictions under a new moratorium by the CDC. A federal moratorium previously offered extensive protections for renters, but that expired at the start of this month. To qualify for the new moratorium, renters must prove in court that they are out of work because of the coronavirus and are pursuing government assistance. Jarvis Dorch, Executive Director of the ACLU of Mississippi tells our Kobe Vance the move by the CDC helps, but it doesn't erase all barriers for poor residents. It's a positive step, but it doesn't um, protect people, Mississippians, as far as they need it. Um, it. It puts the onus on Mississippians that that face eviction to, you know, declare that they can't pay and that it's related to COVID. Um, they can still. A, a landlord can still take them to court and try to evict them and make the um, claim that they do not um, that they do not qualify under the CDC standards. There's also the problem that they're, it doesn't waive the rent that they're not able to pay, so it's going to be a you know rent is going to be piling up and become due in January, and that's going to be another problem that's just um, kind of being kicked down the road. So. It is a, it is it is some assistance, but it definitely doesn't go far enough to help 
uh, people that are struggling through this pandemic. And so it's just raising more barriers for people to um, have to qualify for this? Yeah, I mean, um, the, the the qualifications aren't that straightforward. Um, it really is up to that individual tenant to show that they are harmed by COVID and can't pay. Uh, there's no no program for them to sign up for. Um, it's going to be interpreted by a local judge. Um, we really need to put together a program that actually can get money to the landlords because a lot of these landlords are small business small business owners um, and they need to be paid. And we need to make sure that they're getting uh, funding so they don't have to evict folks. But we also got to make sure that you know, people that are facing evictions can be able to access this money for, for their own rent and that they don't build up debt that they're going to have to pay back uh, months from now because they haven't been able to find work because of COVID. And now what ramifications could the state face if there is uh, many Mississippians who just can't afford to pay rent and do be- do become evicted? Well, I mean, we're just going to see, um, you know, the economy still just cycled down. Uh, we already were living in a state where Mississippians were struggling with low wages, and these are the very people that are working in these front-facing jobs, service jobs that bring them in contact with COVID, and, and they're more likely to catch COVID. And, and because they have low-wage jobs, they have, they're likely to not have insurance, and you're likely not to have health insurance. You probably have um, some type of pre-existing condition, which makes it even more difficult if you catch COVID. So it, it's really just a cycle of problems that, you know, we have to, the only way that we're going to be able to head all this off is for the state and the federal government to actually make sure that these landlords lords are paid and that, you know, people actually have an option to stay in their home or apartment and not face just a mounting amount of debt. Jarvis Dorch is the executive director of the ACLU of Mississippi. While moratoriums help residents who are unable to pay, they do little to help the owner of the property. While some landlords may seek to evict those residents, Megan Elder with the Mississippi Apartment Association says it's better to establish payment plans to ease financial burdens. No one ever wants to evict someone, especially, you know, during a time like this. But, you know, landlords, are a lot of them are small operators, and they have bills to pay, mortgages, taxes, and things that are due. So I think, you know, our industry is definitely a little on edge and concerned about that. Um, but, again, it goes back to, like, what they've been doing this entire time, which has been trying to work with people. And, you know, a lot of people who maybe were late on payment, it didn't just start. You know, this has been an ongoing process since, you know, all of this began early this spring. Um, so it's definitely something that, you know, the resident is aware of, that they're behind the landlord. Most residents at this point, I'm hopeful, would have already, you know, reached out to their landlord and tried to make arrangements um, and make some type of payment plan. But I think you will find that for the most part, our industry has been very compassionate and trying to make sure that people still have a home and, and working with them the best that they can. What are some other things that um, landlords are doing right now to try to work with their um, their tenants to try to make ends meet and uh, make it to where evictions aren't necessary? Yeah, I mean, like I said, from the beginning, you know, we sent out an email to all of our members asking them to, you know, to find creative solutions to work with their tenants who have, you know, who've lost their jobs and 
whose income has taken has been reduced. And so really the, one of the main things that our members have done that we have seen that we have recommended is creating a payment plan, you know, and, and having to get a little creative. You know, normally rent's due at the first of the month, and now you've got some residents who are paying every single week a little bit to, to meet that amount, or they've agreed uh, to some kind of payment plan that if they can't pay it all that month, you know, they, they can over the next few months. So I think it's just more thinking outside of the box and how can we help the residents to stay in their homes how can the landlords continue to get the funds that they need to operate their businesses, to pay their staff, to be able to pay the taxes? I think that's the most crucial is just working with them. And you're going to have some landlords out there that we can't speak on behalf of that are not going to do that. They, they've probably panicked in this situation and maybe have chosen other options. But for the most part, our members have been very creative and, and helpful in, in, in helping residents be able to stay in their home. Now, uh, as far as the struggles of the landlords, you know, this is a lot of them rely on this as their income. Um, what are, what's the what's the feeling there? Are they concerned about um, trying to make their own ends meet at the end of the month? I think right now it's 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 still soon. I think a lot of our members have are, have been fortunate that their residents have been able to pay. You know, um, the, uh, the residents, the state of Mississippi, getting the unemployment. I think that has helped. I know that those funds are getting ready to be cut. And so I think there is a concern of how do we continue to pay our bills. You know, they, whether a, a, a renter is paying their rent or not, you know, that landlord still is paying utilities. They're paying taxes. They are paying for the maintenance staff to be there to, to, you know, in the middle of the night when, you know, your AC goes out. So I think there's a concern. I think um, everyone's just trying to wait and see. Certainly this, um, you know, kind of <laughs> coming up. But definitely, you know, it concerned our members um, and it's concerned us because, I don't think that halting evictions is the answer. I think, again, it goes back to we need some type of rental assistance for for our residents in the state. Megan Elder is with the Mississippi Apartment Building Association. Coming up, bus drivers in a Mississippi school district are being denied routes over a conflict, working hours, and compensation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are a You Could Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freak me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic is presenting unprecedented challenges to public schools. Between socially distanced classrooms and virtual learning, school districts are making changes to accommodate the variety of ways children are learning in the world of COVID-19. For Columbus City Schools, some changes have resulted in a clash between administration and the district's bus drivers. In a story first reported by the Commercial Dispatch, drivers for Columbus City Schools walked out last week over a dispute regarding hours and wages. Renarda Dent is one of those drivers. Back over the summer, my supervisor called me and asked me um, would I come work for the school district and that they were going to offer us $12 an hour, um, and we were automatically going to get six hours a day, five days a week, even though the kids didn't go to school on Wednesdays. 
and we also was going to get holiday pay through the summer. Well, let me just clarify. You worked for a bus company prior yes. to this, and then Columbus School District took over the busing? Is that right? Yes. We worked for a company called EcoRide. Um, EcoRide was contracted out by Columbus Municipal School District. Mm-hmm. And what happened when um, we went on spring break is when um, COVID-19 hit. And so we never did go back to school. So the Columbus Municipal School District actually dropped the contract with EcoRide. They did not um, complete their contract. So we all pretty much lost our jobs then. Well, the Columbus Municipal School District decided to save money and just do the, the transportation themselves without, you know, actually being ready and have the means of doing it. You said that you were told by Columbus School District that you would get six hours a day and $12 an hour. And then what happened? Well, what happened, um, we had worked three weeks. um, And one uh, Monday morning, August the 24th, we had started work on August the 6th. August the 24th, during our route, um, our supervisor came across our radios because everybody had a radio on the bus and said there's a mandatory meeting after your route. So after our route in the meeting, he says that um, the school system decided um, in a a board meeting that they weren't going to pay what they originally said and that uh, we could get up to four and a half hours a day. And they gave us a pay sheet, and... It didn't have a hourly rate on it. It just had a yearly, uh, a yearly uh, income, like a salary. And then, but when you break that down and, and try to divide it out, we really was getting like nine dollars an hour, unless you had been there over seventeen years, unless you had like seventeen years of experience. Or who decided? Was it planned to do a walkout that you wouldn't drive a route after that? Well. It, they sprung it on us, first of all, and it was last minute. Um, there was no one there to actually clarify what was going on, just our supervisor telling us this, that it was coming from uh, the school board, and we had questions, and we just wanted someone to talk to us. We weren't planning on not driving the buses because most of us, have. we all love our jobs, first of all, and we want to still now we want to drive, but they wouldn't let us come back to work after the fact. But during the meeting, um, we was trying to figure out what we needed to do and we wanted to talk to someone. Well, we called um the central office and no one would talk to us. Um, you know, so we was like, Well, we're coming back um this evening but we want we really want to talk to somebody about this because we don't agree. We had already worked um three weeks and we weren't working for what we originally thought we were working for. How many of you walked off? About half? Originally, it was 23. Now, the next day, two of those, no, three of them went back to work. But for some reason, um, when we went to ask him, well, can we do our routes? Because we were told we couldn't get on the bus by text message that night around 1030 p.m we were told that we couldn't, um, since we walked off per se, that we um, pretty much quit our jobs and we couldn't um, resume driving the bus. Were you fired or 
were you told you were going to be fired? We received, first of all, we received a phone call and said that we were terminated. Then the next day, we received a letter saying we were being recommended to the board to be terminated. So that is actually unclear. As of right now, we do not, neither one of the bus drivers have an official letter of termination. We do not have anything in writing saying we are terminated. So what we were doing is still showing up for work. And every day we would ask, could we, could we do our route? And they would tell us no. Let me bring this up now, because I know, aside from all of this and how complicated this is and how distressing this is for you, you and other bus drivers are concerned about the safety of students now if you're not driving your routes. Why is that? The reason we're concerned about safety is because you went from almost 50 bus drivers to about 20 now. I think it's about, there may be about 20... One twenty-two uh, drivers, and you think about doing forty-six to fifty uh, bus routes, and you combine those into twenty routes. There's no way possible that you can do social distancing. There's no way possible that you can do that and and get the kids home at a, a reasonable hour. Some of these children are getting home an hour to an hour and a half after the time they would originally have gotten home. Renarda Dent is a bus driver, maybe, because it's in limbo right now. Renarda, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Columbus City Schools has released this statement following a request for comment by Mississippi Edition. Certain former bus drivers refused to run their bus bus routes and their employments were terminated. They all were at-will employees working with no written contracts. They had the right to quit or not to work at will. And the school district had the right to terminate their employment at will. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.